since our brains are wired for community almost above everything else, that social media can be a replacement for in-person community. Um, and, and that social media, if, if, if communities are built and authentic value is, is being brought to the table and all of that, then, then you can't argue with that. It's a good. Um, but what they found is even when somebody is really positive on Facebook, um, it's also psychologically harmful. Welcome to Audio Branding, the hidden gem of marketing. Sound plays a more important role in human behavior and our decision-making than you may realize. In this podcast, I'll help you understand the art and science of sound so you can better influence others in business and your life. I'm your host, Jody Krangle. Let's delve a little deeper. This is the second part of my interview with Austin Frankie. As far as audio-only assets are concerned, do you suggest to clients that they make the most of this audio for their own advertising? And and I think when we were talking about this, you mentioned availability bias. Yes, yes. Yeah. So that's, that's another thing that um, Byron Sharp talks about. In his research, he found there are really essentially two, two sides to the coin of how a brand grows. There's mental availability and physical availability. Yes. Um, mental availability is more of the availability bias side of things, which is the brand that is easiest to recall in a buying situation wins every time. Um, even though that brand might not have a good value proposition, they might, they're probably not the best quality product, it doesn't matter. They might not be the cheapest. It doesn't matter. If you can recall them, mm -hmm. um, availability bias states that you perceive it as more important than other things that you can't recall. Um, and so uh, so mental availability is essentially being as easy as possible um, for the customer to recall in a buying situation. And then physical availability is the other side, which I don't deal too much in, which is essentially being physically available. If you look at, a if you go to the grocery store and Ragu has a ton of different varieties and a ton uh, of, um, of bottles or jars, um, then, then you're going to look at them before you see the little niche brand that has two or three, mm -hmm. um, uh, because it's easier to buy. It's physically in front of you. Um, and, and those are really the two sides of the coin of how a brand grows. Um, and so, so the availability bias is really interesting and that's where audio comes in if you can if you can uh, kind of sneak in and creep into customers brains over time they might not ever buy your ad for three years or your your brand for three years um, but uh, when they do buy that brand um, there's a ton of other people just like them that are also buying it three years after they hear they start hearing those ads um, and those, uh, according to the Ehrenberg Bass Institute, are your most valuable customers. They're the ones you should prioritize. Um, and so it's the long game. You have to be patient and humble. Um, uh, you can't you can't assume customers think about you or care about you ever. Uh, and, <laughs> it's a good um, point to make. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, so yeah, that's essentially the availability bias is a psychological concept, um, which I'm assuming is is close to where uh, Byron Sharp got his. Uh, coined his phrases. I, I haven't heard him that I know of speak specifically about it, but um, it's a, a well-known bias where we, we we gravitate towards the things we can recall easily. Yeah. Yeah. I like that a lot. And audio, of course, helps us recall. So <laughs> exactly, it's a very powerful tool for that. Yeah. yeah. So how has things, um, you know, in the advertising world 
especially from what you've seen, how do you think that's changed over time? I guess because we're seeing a lot of new, interesting places for people to be able to advertise Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. you know, streaming media and YouTube and and Netflix and Hulu and, you know, (laughs) it, you know, everything's being disrupted, kind of like the taxi industry with Uber. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So there's, there's really, there's two, um, there's, I think there's two, uh, theories and philosophies of marketing and advertising. Um, ever since Byron Sharp's book, How Brands Grow, which I highly recommend everybody check out. Um, and of course, before him, the, uh, Andrew Ehrenberg, um, uh, a lot of really big name brands are paying very close attention to all of their latest research all the time. Um, uh, because they, they trust, um, they trust the data, they trust the evidence, right? Um, and so you, you see some brands doing that. Um, and I, again, the state, the insurance industry is a great example of brands. I'm not sure if they were familiar with Byron Sharp when Geico came out with the Geico Gecko. Mm-hmm. They probably were. Um, uh, and um, we're seeing more brands start to do that. And then you have the, the opposite theory or philosophy, which is very much brand love, um, which is this idea of um, uh, coming across as a brand, as a person or as a human being. And, you know, it comes from very good, um, uh, psychological evidence that we, we, um, we, our brains are wired for community above really all else yeah. um, other than maybe survival. That and whole no even, like trust thing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and, and often even the, um, the survival instinct is trumped by the community instinct. This is why we have heroic acts. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, um, so, but what the misunderstanding comes from, I believe, um, is assuming that customers will ever view a brand like they do a person. Um, <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that is the big mistake and the bigger community you have in the beginning. If you, if you, so I always use the example of this local dive bar, you know, we have ton, a ton of them here in Milwaukee. We're like the capital of bars there's one on every corner and everyone has their established 10 to 20 customers that come in regularly um, but those customers aren't going to that bar because of the brand of the bar they're going to the bar because their friends are there there are human beings there now let's 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 take uh applebee's um which has a bar but isn't just primarily a bar obviously mm-hmm. um uh, people aren't going to Applebee's because their friends are hanging out at Applebee's. <laughs> people, <laughs> people are going to Applebee's because Applebee's advertises a lot all the time. Um, and so now people are choosing Applebee's because of the brand, not because of the community. Um, but the mistake that a lot of marketing and advertising gurus are making is, is believing that um, with a big community or with a big brand, you can create a strong community with relationships to individuals within that community. Um, and it's just not proven to be true. Um, and so you see the opposite in their advertisements. Usually their advertisements are trying to persuade you um, to buy their 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 product. But now, more recently, they're trying to do it through brand purpose and through claims that they are going to change the world and um, through we saw all the covid commercials of everybody mm-hmm. trying to tell everyone oh, we're yeah. with you stay together you know all of this stuff that comes from a philosophy that you can have a relationship with a customer and from that comes a lot of other myths which which are um, you could create a customer persona that's very specific 
to an ideal customer. And if you can get the ideal customers to buy your brand, they're going to stay with you for life and tell your friends about them. Um, uh, and so they will target now and niche down um, their brands to very specific people. Um, and, and what you find is that none of the big brands are doing that. Um, yeah, I mean, look at look at Apple, which might have tried to do that, but they aren't very successful. Their phones look like everyone else's phones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, their interface isn't that much different than Windows, um, but they do keep you loyal because it's annoying to have to switch back to Windows, um, not because <laughs> or make the switch to <laughs> or make Apple. the switch yeah. to <laughs> Apple. Exactly, exactly. It, it goes both ways. Yeah. Um, uh, and Coca Cola, they, they've all in a lot of ways. A lot of these brands have tried the relationship model. Um, and some of them might even think that the relationship model is the reason for their success. Mm -hmm. And that's where Byron Sharp comes in. A lot of the brand, the big name brands that gave him their data and the Institute before him, um, uh, they were surprised when he came back and said what he said about customer loyalty. It was a surprise to them. They really were investing in customer loyalty. Um, but what they didn't realize was that a customer loyalty was a side effect to growth. And but, but because they saw their customers were very loyal, they kept doing it more and more. Um, and so, uh, and, and, so, and then some brands, some big brands are just like F Byron Sharp. I, I don't want to be that kind of a brand or whatever. Um, and so and so they're they're also leaning heavily into whatever the societal um, trend is of the day. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and and so you're really seeing these two different types of advertising right now. And um, one works and one doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Interesting point. Yeah. I think also, especially in the maybe in the case of Coke that um, they, I mean, they started doing all of that um, brand mm -hmm. loyalty stuff with the songs and stuff like, yeah. you know, Barry Manilow wrote their songs, didn't yeah, he, like yeah. in the beginning? So so that kind of thing was going on, but they were a smaller brand then. Mm -hmm. So maybe mm -hmm. they could get away with it a little more at that time. And we're talking the sure. yeah. 70s, right? Like, right. <laughs> you know, right. so uh, I think now with so many people out there with so many choices. Yeah. Yeah. Really being top of mind is what you need to do. <laughs> exactly. And, and I think, you know, you bring up Coca-Cola. I, I, one of the great examples or one of the examples in uh, Mad Men at the very end, I won't tell you what happens at the very end, but essentially you find out Don Draper was the one that came up with, uh, or it's implied that Don Draper came up with, uh, I'd like to buy the world a Coke <laughs> yeah. or whatever in the 60s and 70s. And yeah. I think a large part of, I would imagine their incentive for that song was to try to unite the world. It was to show them that you have the same values as they do and, and all of that. But the song was catchy and used the word Coke in it. And so I think the mistake was that Coca-Cola assumed um, that uh, the values driven aspect of the commercial persuaded customers to buy. In reality, they probably ran the ad a ton and the song was catchy and used Coke's name. Yeah. And, and that's what the research <laughs> is saying is really effective. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to see a case study on that, though. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It would be very interesting to see what the <laughs> results of that would be. Are you looking for ways to improve your company's or podcast's impact? You'd be surprised how powerful the use of an intentional audio branding strategy can be. Want to know more? I have a free downloadable PDF that gives you my five tips for implementing an intentional audio strategy at voiceoversandvocals.com slash audio dash branding dash strategy. That location does ask to put you on a mailing list just to send you updates on when the new podcasts come out. 
But if you really don't want to give your email out, I understand. Just contact me directly. My email is all over my website. And I'll make sure you get that PDF without needing to sign up anywhere. If you do sign up, though, you also get access to a resources section called The Studio, where I have videos, white papers and PDFs, discounts from my guests, and snippets of audio from my guests that no one else gets to hear. So maybe it's worth your while. Totally up to you. And of course, if you're looking for voiceovers, you can get in touch with me about that too. Now, back to the podcast. Moving on to something that's kind of a phenomenon, a little less now, I think it's kind of lessening in in popularity at the moment, but Clubhouse. Have you been on Clubhouse? (laughs) I have not been on on Clubhouse. Have you heard Um, of it and and have other people told you about it? Yeah, I have. I have. Um, I, I, uh, you know, I don't want to say anything about where I think it's going to go. Just I, I could be proven wrong. I don't think mm-hmm. I will be. Maybe I will. I'll just say it. I don't think it's going to work. I think Twitter and Facebook and um, oh, they're the bigger, everyone. Yeah, exactly. They're going to eat them up and copy them. And yeah. um, and you know, chances are that was probably Clubhouse's. Um, uh, they knew that was going to happen all along, but they're yeah. they're. Their founders are probably just trying to to get some money out of some VCs and move on. Um, that's my guess. That's how sure. startup culture works these yeah. days. Um, <laughs> you don't have to be profitable or successful. You just need a bunch of money in the beginning. Uh, mm-hmm. um, and so, uh, yes, but I, I do think it's an interesting concept. And I think it's probably one that people will gravitate to to or like. And I think that's probably why the big companies are, are trying to copy them. And um, But I, I don't know if I've thought too much on um, why it might be good or why people might gravitate towards it um uh but you know chances are um they're never going to use traditional media to advertise um yeah um uh every every tech startup starts off thinking that that they don't need traditional media to advertise um and they all and eventually if they survive get proven wrong facebook spends a ton of money on traditional advertising now mm-hmm. so does amazon but they did it in the beginning and and were principled against it in the beginning um uh so i think that's probably going to lead to to something that doesn't go very far um but from what i understand their their downloads have just dramatically declined yeah um, yeah so after yeah, winter I'm, I'm curious. exactly <laughs> after winter yeah yeah we're not all stuck inside anymore <laughs> mm-hmm. <clears throat> but exactly. they did uh they opened it up to uh android just recently yeah so, that, i think that was another big mistake physical yeah, availability yeah a huge mistake um was not being easy to use um, half of the, I don't know if the, the exact statistics, but I would imagine, I think it's even more than half, um, of, of phone users are on Android rather than iPhone. Yeah. So I think yeah. it's the silliest thing in the world to just like try to release a product and take an entire year to reach half of the world. I mean, that's just silly to yeah. me, especially in developing countries. Android is king actually from what I was just listening to a podcast about mm-hmm. that. Um, so <laughs> worldwide, it was a terrible decision for them. <laughs> Interesting, um, so, though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I actually just came across an, uh, a program, I guess, that allows me to run Clubhouse on my desktop. And I'm on uh, a PC. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so uh, so now that's how I'm accessing Clubhouse, which yeah. makes it a lot easier for me because I can use the audio on my desktop computer. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yep. So what are your thoughts on social media in general? I'm yeah. I'm curious because I, we had a brief conversation about that. Uh-huh. 
And I, and you just mentioned that both Facebook and uh, and who else were you you're mentioning there? Facebook and was uh, it Twitter? Twitter. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah now yeah. they're advertising a lot in general media. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I didn't know that was the question. Yeah, Amazon. Oh, Amazon. Um, so, you're right. So yeah. Facebook, Amazon. Um, it's it's Fang. It's it stands for F A A N G, and it's like Facebook, Amazon, Google is one of them, um, Netflix, I think, um, and then there's another A. I don't. Oh, uh, I think it might be. I'm not sure. Anyway, um, <laughs> but they are they are investing heavily in traditional advertising right now. Maybe not because of COVID, so you might not see that in the data from this last year. But mm, I guarantee yeah. you they're going to go back to it. Sure. I mean, they definitely were before. So, um, but yeah, um, my my philosophy on on social media is it can help you if you're a small business. Um, it can be very helpful if you're a small business. Um, it's a lot less effective it's it's virtually non-effective if you're a big brand if you're using it on its own mm -hmm. um, it's only really effective as a complement to traditional media at least now um, and and it, the trends are showing that it, that'll be the case for a long time to come so Gary V is wrong um, at, least, <laughs> <laughs> at least now okay. with his advice um, <laughs> Uh, and two researchers that are really um, instrumental in that are two guys named Les Benet and Peter Field. Um, and uh, uh, they are um, econometrics ana analysts or however you, you call their title. Um, and essentially, they're finding um, people's reality of uh, mediums that they're using. And the app, so they judge um, by large, large business effects. So they'll take a bunch of ads. Um, and measure their large business effects. So over time, um, how many big, huge pushes um, uh, or how many like drastic changes in effectiveness have they seen from their business? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, um, so what they were finding is the traditional media, TV, radio, billboards are still the most effective there. Um, so that's, that's, my philosophy, that's my standpoint on social media in terms of an effectiveness standpoint. But if you're small and you can't afford traditional media channels, which I can't, um, then um, social media might be the way to go. On the other hand, I've talked to a lot of um, brand strategists um, uh, who have told me that they spend the most of their time uh, investing in social media from uh, brand awareness or advertisement standpoint, and they see the least effects from it. Um, usually, uh, word of mouth and referrals are, mm -hmm. are how they've built their business. Um, and so, again, effectiveness, that's that's my philosophy there, or sure. the, what I've noticed and what I've seen from the data there. Um, in terms of uh, um, personal use or <laughs> my philosophy of yeah. um, uh, social media uh, in general, I think it's a very harmful um, thing for society. I think people have made a mistake to believe that um, since our brains are wired for community almost above everything else, that social media can be a replacement for in-person community. Um, and, and that social media, if, if, if communities are built and authentic value is, is being brought to the table and all of that, then, then you can't argue with that. It's a good. Um, but what they found is even when somebody is really positive on Facebook, um, it's also psychologically harmful. Um, so what, what, what we're seeing now is uh -huh. a lot of young people, um, you know, Gen Z and, and probably below and millennials. I think it started with them. Although I don't believe in any of those um, terms. Um, there's a lot of research <laughs> to say that sure. there's, there's, there's research to say that there's no universal differences between generations. It's essentially age. You get older, you get 
whatever. It <laughs> kind of makes sense, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, baby boomers were responsible um, for the sexual revolution, so you, you can't really say that baby boomers have always been traditional and whatever, right? Um, uh, well, we all grow up with different social norms that, that and, too, exactly. and different yeah. technology and different right. opportunities. Right. So that would change some of the sensibilities exactly yeah and there are some differences there's a big difference between gen z and millennials depression rates suicide rates really <laughs> um okay self-harm rates mm-hmm. um and it's and it's almost directly uh uh it they haven't some people would say that they there's there's causation there but most people would say there's a strong correlation um between um depression rates suicide rates and social media and if you really yeah. think about that it's true. If you if you talk to a young person, they don't see social media as a way to connect with their friends. They see it as a way to curate their own personal brand. Yeah. Um, and they're protective of future employees that they may never have for 15 years. Um, they're deleting posts constantly. They are curating their social media channels um, uh, to be to, to appear authentic, to appear um, genuine, uh, but in reality, to put on a face. My goodness! Um, <laughs> if the internet was around when I was a kid, oh, oh. man! <laughs> All the yeah, stupid yeah. stuff I did when I was a kid <laughs> on the internet. Exactly. Oh, no. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> These kids really have uh, some kind of social savvy that I right. really didn't have when I was growing up, but we right, didn't know exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, and, and that's, that's, that, you know, there's, there's like a, you know, I might call it a toxic positivity, which is no one disagrees with anyone. Um, uh, or it's like the opposite. They hate everyone. <laughs> um, so there's really those yeah. two sides of the coin. Um, <laughs> um, so it's, it's divided us as a country. It's, uh, all of the social media platforms are, are designed to addict us. I mean, there's of course. nobody, you know, yeah. Facebook might dispute that, but the people that have left Facebook that, you know, worked yeah. out in the beginning are like, you can't dispute that. This is definitely what we were doing. Why are yeah. you saying we weren't? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that documentary. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. The social dilemma. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Very <laughs> um, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I, you know, I was actually, um, thinking about this before that documentary came out and, and I was very aware of humane tech, which is a great organization. Um, uh, Tristan Harris, uh, was, um, uh, one of the main guys featured in the documentary, he, he created Humane Tech after leaving Google. He was that guy. Um, I found out about him a couple of years ago um, and have been really intrigued by his work ever since. Um, but so so early on in my business, um, I was starting to notice how unhealthy it was for me and my family um, to, to focus on social media for business. I was still, you know, personally posting pictures of, you know, you know, my wedding and um, our baby when she was born and things like that. But mm-hmm. for business, um, I was I just felt it just felt very um, harmful to me personally and to my sure. family. Yeah. Um, and so I got off of it early on um, and read a book by uh, Cal Newport um, uh, called uh, Deep Work, which essentially makes the case that um, rare and valuable work uh, leads to success more than a bunch of superficial, uh, you know, hard, long hours of work, right? Sure, yeah. Um, and, and essentially, that's what social media wants you to do. It wants you to spend hours on a social media post, um, uh, posting about cliche experiences and, <laughs> and advice. Yeah. Um, and so uh, so that was interesting. And he's never been on social media, and he's found success as a, um, 
as a, a thought leader. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, he also wrote a book called Digital Minimalism, which I have not read. But essentially, he talks about the trade-off between um, uh, social media or digital um, forms of anything um, and what it does in our lives. Sure. Um, and he would say, if you're not addicted to social media or not prone to addiction to social media, go for it. Use it in your business. Use it personally. Whatever. It doesn't really matter to an extent, mm-hmm. even though eventually um, the platforms will try and addict you and maybe it'll work and maybe it won't. But um, uh, but he went, he says to really examine something before using it. And this is why I'm not on Clubhouse. I haven't examined okay. it. Okay. Yeah, that um, makes sense. That makes um, sense. I, I've examined LinkedIn, I've examined Facebook, I've examined Instagram mm-hmm. by investing in them and uh, and came to the conclusion they weren't right for me. Um, and so I don't use them. Um, and, you know, Clubhouse might be different. Who knows? Um, or something uh, we'll like see. Clubhouse. Or something like Clubhouse, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, it might be good for my family. There's actually, I'll give a little shout out to, um, I use an online platform called Kinetic, um, K-I-N-E-T-I-C. Um, I think joinkinetic.com is their website. But um, they are interested in connecting you. They actually do the work of that. You don't go and cold message people. They connect you with other um, thought leaders or business leaders uh, or potential customers if you have a startup or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, they can they make the connection for you, and it's a it's a face to face video call. Um, oh, and interesting. So without cold messages, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, and just keeping things typed or online um you actually see people face to face and meet them face to face and and i think what they're doing is great and they're they were influenced by humane tech um and they just started recently and they're kind of local to me a little bit um but they're expanding um so things like that uh, that Mm -hmm. that is something that i decided oh yeah i'm gonna do that (laughs) that makes sense for me and my family uh, and for my business yeah um and so uh, so that's kind of an example but that's over that's generally my philosophy in terms of social media effectiveness and um, personally, my philosophy on why I don't use it for my own business or sure. personally. Yeah. And that yeah. makes a lot of sense. I get it. Yeah. I know we're all dealing with a lot these days, so I really wanted to acknowledge those that have gone out of their way to leave an honest review of this podcast. Like Hazel, who writes, great show, great selection of guests, and provides valuable insights about the sound industry. Thanks, Jody. Thanks so much for your kind words, Hazel. I'm really glad you're enjoying it. And for those of you that are interested, you can also leave a voice review now off of the main podcast page. It's super simple, and I'd love to hear what you think. Now, back to the show. So uh, what are you working on right now? Uh, I know that, you know, you, I mean, please do talk about your company, because I know that all of the stuff (laughs) that we just talked about, you do in your company. Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, so in general, there's kind of two things that I do, um, with Woo Punch. Um, and in some ways they're, they're not related, even though a lot of brand strategists like to put them together. Um, <laughs> uh, it's a trend. Um, but essentially there's on the one side of, of things is, is company culture. Um, and not only company culture, even if you're a solopreneur, um, helping you to identify the long-term good of you, your business, your employees, and then your customers. Um, and um, and really leaning into that and then using behavioral science to leverage kind of short-term selfish motivators, things mm-hmm. that you just want to do immediately or whatever, um, 
to to achieve that long-term good um and uh and so that's one thing that i help clients with and then on the branding side it's really essentially helping them to build distinctive brand assets so um uh, i'm the consultant essentially um that and then i work with designers i work with um, audio production companies i work with um uh ad agencies to actually create the content. And I'm the guy um, that gives them the foundation for their brand um, to begin with, and then uh, gives offers ongoing support to, um, to be the guy that when they start to see, um, essentially I see myself as kind of like a sheepdog. I'm like keeping them on course. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> and I'm, 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 I'm keeping them from being distracted by the sexy thing over there. Right? <laughs> Um, you know, I'm keeping them from being distracted by brand purpose or mm -hmm. uh, mission statement or um, uh, whatever is the popular trend of the day. Sure. Um, and so, uh, so that's what I do from a branding standpoint. Um, but then also, uh, I write, um, and I really love exposing the lies of um, the business industry, whether that's culture or advertising, marketing, branding. Um, with empirical data um, that debunks some of the most common popular wisdom. So yep. that, that's a big piece I love. And, and I'm trying to establish myself as a writer as well. I haven't done much other than my own newsletter. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I love writing um, and I love uh, learning. And so um, so I, I would really love to be able to monetize that down the road as well. And um, Sure. Towards that. But yeah, yeah, largely what I do is consult clients and and then write. So how can people get in touch with you? And what's the URL of your blog? Because I think people should read that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you can't get in touch with me on LinkedIn or Instagram or Twitter. Or I was never on Twitter, but uh -huh. uh, or Facebook um, or Clubhouse yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but you can email me at austin uh, at woopunch.com. Um, uh, and if you're, you don't want to have that, you know, contact yet and you're just really curious about the company and um and what i do you can go to woopunch.com um, and on that website there's a lot of prompts to subscribe to my newsletter um and uh i i post my archive um articles that i've sent through my newsletter on my url called uh woopunch slash .com, i guess slash branding bullshit um, <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah <laughs> and that's essentially you know if you if subscribe to my newsletter you won't get any more than three emails a month and you will often see the subject line branding bullshit dash whatever bullshit i'm debunking in, in the in, in the email so yeah yeah um yeah so that's a that's a fun little project that i've been doing <laughs> i love it i love it and uh you allowed me to include something in my uh studio resources yes, about exactly. the 2021 um uh commercials super bowl. yeah yeah the, yeah, the ad, super bowl ads so the super bowl ads yeah, yeah. you know yeah. we as consumers we like to rank the ads based on what entertained us and what we yeah. enjoyed and yeah. and all of these things um but uh we as consumers have no idea what makes an ad effective and often <laughs> the most boring super bowl commercials um are the most effective i you know yeah. i mentioned state farms ad which was pretty boring there was nothing interesting about it really mm -hmm, yeah mm -hmm. it had aaron Rodgers and it you know whatever but um, but essentially, it had Jake from State Farm, a character. Mm -hmm. It had their um, uh, logo uh, uh, intro. Actually, they didn't do the logo intro, which was weird for me. Um, but they had their little do 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 do, you know, yeah, and everything yeah. looked like a State Farm ad, and everything was very consistent. Um, the number one ad on that list is the Bud Light ad, 
um, because they used a ton of distinctive assets from the past. That's essentially the whole thing. Yeah. Was, yeah. you know, it's the real men of genius guy. And it's, you know, the, I think maybe the frogs were in it. I'm not sure. But, um, but <laughs> so from beginning effective. to end, yeah. <laughs> From beginning to end, it's obvious it's not a Bud Light ad, or mm-hmm. it's not it's not a Miller Light ad, it's not mm-hmm. a Coors ad. It is a Bud Light ad through mm-hmm. and through. Yeah. Um, and and then the least effective ad I have on there um, is the Verizon ad, which had Sam Samuel L. Jackson uh, in some sort of 3D animated ad. Um, and one, they mentioned the Verizon name once. Uh, two, none of it looked like a Verizon ad. And three, they used Capital One's distinctive asset in Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, um, uh, really yeah, but, not. But, you know, even to begin with, Capital One didn't make the best move choosing him as a distinctive asset because celebrities are actually not great distinctive assets because yeah. we have mental yeah. associations already with them. But they, they definitely played enough ads as Capital One with him mm-hmm. to confuse people if they never look up when they hear Sam Jackson's voice in an ad. So essentially they advertise for Capital One. Um, and I think <laughs> yeah. that was the most ridiculous thing ever. <laughs> um, so that's, oh, that's, my, that's my loser of the Super Bowl. <laughs> okay, well, we have been schooled. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for uh, speaking with me today. This has been really fascinating. And I'm uh, looking forward to uh, getting this out there so that uh, people can hear this because I think they need to hear this. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope it'll be helpful for people out there. Yeah, well, thanks so much. Well, that's the end of this episode. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard, why not tell a friend about this podcast? It's available in all the usual locations. Until next time. Until next time.